which is that if you influence people without integrity, it will always catch up to you, right? And at, ultimately, you have no influence, which means you didn't have influence at all. You just tricked people. You are listening to Amplify Your Success Podcast, episode 373. And today, you're going to discover the power of ethical influence and persuasion to get more clients now. You ready for this? Let's get started. Welcome to the Amplify Your Success Podcast. Get ready to ramp up your revenue, amplify your impact, and make your mark in the world. This is the show for experts, thought leaders, and service professionals who want to shatter their limits and achieve that next level. You're going to find out from other experts and influencers how they made it. Now, let's get Amplified. Hey there, inspired entrepreneurs and business leaders. It is your host, Melanie Benson, authority amplifier and possibility igniter for expert-based entrepreneurs ready to consistently generate five and six-figure months. And today we have a special guest joining us. And this is one of my favorite people. It's such a powerhouse and so heart-driven, so impact-driven. And we're talking about influence and persuasion the ethical kind, the kind that helps the people that you serve get exactly what they need. It's win, win, win. And I love it. And such a perfect guest to, to demonstrate this for you today. So we'll get into that in a second. But I was thinking about now one of the things we're doing anytime we are using the microphone for client attraction is we are, we are influencing. We are connecting the dots between a problem that your ideal clients have a need or a desire that they have and your solution. And there's always going to be a form of influence in that in a good way, right? And yet so many people, so many experts tell me they do not know how to monetize their visibility. They are not getting a return on the effort in the time, in the, you know, all of the financial investments they've made in being a guest on other people's podcasts, stages, and platforms. And that just breaks my heart because it doesn't have to be that way. This could be your best client attraction system if you know how to avoid the 17 common mistakes that guest experts make that end up costing them the lead and the client. So I put this scorecard together and I want you to go download it right now, whether you are actively being a podcast guest or not right now, head to melaniebenson.com forward slash scorecard and download this free resource and go through the 17 common mistakes and score yourself right now so you have awareness. Are you doing the monetization right? Are you doing the guest experting right? Or is there some room for improvement and it's time to optimize this approach? And if it's the second, let me know, happy to help and point you towards the resources that will make your visibility the best client attraction you have. So let's get into today's episode. Well, welcome back, Amplifiers. I know I always say this, but I'm like triply excited to share today's guest with you. This has been a person who's become very near and dear to my heart. And we're talking about ethical influence and persuasion that brings more clients now. Now, let me just give this amazing man a a, a proper introduction. 
We're going to be speaking today to Michael Stevenson. He's the co-founder and CEO of the Ethical Marketing Academy and Transform Destiny, a neuro-linguistic programming training company. He has been a successful business owner for over 28 years, an international speaker, multiple-time best-selling author, and an in-demand success and business coach. He specializes in teaching heart-centered business owners how to use the programming language of the mind and ethical influence with persuasion to get more people to say yes to your products, services, and programs. And I feel honored to say he has become a dear friend. Michael, thank you so much for coming today to share your insights and your wisdom. I don't, you don't do a lot of podcasts anymore. So I feel so honored. This is my first podcast in three years, I think. So yeah, I'm super excited. Wow. <laughs> and don't tell anybody as you're listening in, but I actually had to ask him several times. He's no. so in demand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited to be here. This Me is, too. Uh, a lot of times, you know, if somebody invites you on a podcast, you're like, uh, I guess I should probably do it. You know, it's kind yeah. of a, almost a little bit of a chore. This is definitely not a chore. This is a treat for me. Oh, well, thank you. Well, we always have the most amazing conversations. I was so honored to have been invited to speak at his conference earlier this year. And I just was so blown away by not just their generosity and their extraordinary heart-based approach to events. Because, you know, when you speak at a lot of events, you don't always experience that from the host, right? You know, they're running around doing a million things and uh, you, you've just been so generous. But also the just the most amazing people were yeah. in that room to learn and grow together. So that says a lot about the quality of who you are and what you attract. And it's a great setup for today's conversation. Thank you. Yeah. So Thanks. let's start a little bit with um, the conversation of influence, right? Mm -hmm. And so why is this important to be successful in business, to master this skill of influence? I think of all the business skills a person could have, the most important skill is influence. Um, you know, I, I often start off my presentations by saying there's a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote that says, you know, if a man builds a better, uh, you know, uh, church crucible or whatever it is, you know, there will be a broad beaten house to his path, even though it's in the woods. And that's just not true. You know, the whole idea that if we build it, they will come. Um, many business owners and, you know, I'm a coach. I know many people in the coaching industry. They think as soon as I get that certificate, put it up on my wall, there's gonna be a line of people at my door banging on the door. I want to work with you. And then there's this rude awakening that we get, which is that, um, and, you know, many people, they, they get certified or they start their business and they go out and they start talking to people and they get that, that glazed overlook, right? When somebody says, what do you do? And, you know, one of two things happens. Either somebody will say, what do you do? You tell them, like, I'm a coach. And they go, oh, uh, do you know where the bar is? You know, and they start looking around the room, right? It's like that, that energy just drops or you start telling them what you do. And this happens with a lot of business owners. You get a little too technical. You start describing details that people don't understand, that glossed over look happens. And the fact is, you could have the best product in the world. You could have something that saves lives. You could have a cure for cancer. And if you don't know how to tell people about it, it's just not going to succeed. And this is something I got fascinated with. My first business 28 years ago was a software business. Um, I started uh, as a young man, I started a software business just as a way to get something on my resume because I had a brand new baby at, at 20 years old. Um, I was not a, a high school graduate at the time. I had no college education. I was fresh off the streets, homeless at 19 years old. And uh, I was trying to figure out how to make a life for myself because I had this new baby I had to take care of. And um, I had some programming skills, but I didn't have any education. And 
I, I couldn't get anybody to hire me. And so I started my first company just as a way to get something on the resume. I thought if I, if I'll just tell them I worked for Liquid Mirror Enterprises for six months and, you know, and I released a software product and that was my first sort of accidental foray into business. And um, while it had a little bit of success in the beginning, um, I, I made this really great tool that, that not many people were buying and I couldn't figure out why it was. And it was about two years in that somebody told me like, hey, it's copywriting, stupid. Like, you know, you need to learn copywriting. And I was like, I didn't know what copy meant. I was like thinking Xerox machines or, you know, what does this mean? And really all it came down to copywriting is just the art of ethical influence. Well, hopefully ethical, not a lot of people do it ethically, but uh, influence or persuasion in writing. And that was right around um, 1997. I really started diving in and studying this and saw massive success in my software um, company at the time. And, um, you know, really realized that it's not about what you create. It's not about your product, service, or program. It's about the story that you tell. Right. And and more importantly, it's about the story that people tell when they hear about, they tell themselves when they hear about your product or service. So to me, influence is the most important skill in business because without it, nothing else works. Yeah. I'm I'm so glad you brought this concept of sales copy into the conversation about influence because that's one mechanism, if you will, or one way in which we develop influence and can use persuasion. Yeah. How else do you see as successful business owners influence being uh, executed on and, ne and needed? Yeah. I mean, it, in terms of modalities, book yeah, writing? Yeah, well, I was just thinking, so yeah, yeah, we're writing a book, we're writing copy. Speaking on stage. Yes. Podcasting, which I'm I'm going to start my own podcast this coming year. I'm really excited about that. Another podcast. Um, you know, I, I had one years ago, but uh, yeah, podcasting. Really, I, I see it as any way to take your message and amplify it, which is what you're all about, right? Amplifying mm -hmm. your authority. And a big part of, you know, proper influence is actually framing that authority. Because I know a lot of people that are authorities and nobody knows about it, you know? Um, so the best kept secret, <laughs> the best kept secret, as you say, right? right? The best kept secrets out there. So, you know, I think a part of it, and this is, you know, the other part of what I get into as well is the mindset stuff. And this is my other company transform destiny, where we teach neurolinguistic programming and we get into mindset and things like that of, of people being willing to own that authority. You know, that took me a long time to work on, um, where I, you know, when I got first got certified in 2000, I was a hypnotherapist and I was almost afraid to go around and tell people I was a hypnotherapist. Cause I was like, who's going to believe me? Who's going to, you know, who's going to, um, who's going to think that I can help them. And, you know, all those things that go through our head. So, uh, I always tell people on our courses, I think the most important person to learn to influence number one is yourself. Hmm. We have to learn to influence ourselves, that internal influence, because too often our minds are running us instead of, you know, us running our mind. We have to learn how to run our own mind. Um, and I think that's uh, probably the most important form of influence that there is. And then also learning how to influence other people. And that's through, you know, speaking. That's through written word. That even comes down to things like how you present yourself, you know, how you dress. And I'm not necessarily saying you, like you should show up in a suit all the time uh, in order to have authority. I know some people that they show up in a t-shirt, but they wear that t-shirt purposefully and that's who they are and they're authentic in it. And, and um, they can communicate that message. You know, there's so many ways to do it, not just auditorily or visually, but, but even your presence and your energy when you show up, all of it contributes to influence. So here's what I'm taking away from what you've said so far is, and, and tell me if I, if I got this askew, influence is the words we use, mm -hmm. the messaging we put out in the world, but it's also our energetics 
Yeah. And how people experience the energy of us when we enter a room, when we're behind a microphone or in front of a microphone. Um, yeah. And it, it's really all of that that comes together. And a lot of it is rooted in the messaging we are giving to ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I had I a client so years agree. ago who she got certified in NLP and she's just this dynamic ball of energy. She was just like a love bunny, you know, and and after a month, she called me up for a coaching call and she said, I'm in trouble. Like if I don't get clients, I'm going to have to go back to a day job. And I couldn't believe she didn't have any clients yet, you know, because she's just so positive. So I said, uh, uh, you know, let's, let's talk about this. Like you're at a networking event. Let's pretend I'm a stranger. What do you do? She starts moving her arms and going on about, I can change your life. And I can help you in your business. And, you know, she's just all of it. And I go, great. How much is it? And she goes, $250 a session. And when she did it, it was like her... Tonality went to question tonality, a session. Her, she shrugged her shoulders. She broke eye contact, took a half a step back. And I was like, that's why people aren't hiring you. You could say all the right words, right? And words are an important part. You know, when we teach influence, there's a lot of it that's about language. But there's also that internal thing that she didn't believe she was worth 250 an hour. And all of that leaked out of her physiology and her tonality, which, as you know, being trained in NLP, your tonality and physiology actually communicate more than your words do. They actually can override your words. That's how we have sarcasm, by the way, when somebody says something, but you know they don't mean what they said because the tonality and the, and the physiology actually override it. And so one of the things I did was I coached her on that. I had to coach her on her mindset of, of believing that she was worth $250 an hour. She wasn't willing to do that at first. So my first thing for her was just lower your rate to something you're comfortable with. So she lowered it down to 125 an hour and she could look you in the eye and say it confidently boom, she starts getting clients. And after, I think it was about three or four weeks later, I get on a coaching call with her. I go, how's it going? She goes, I'm not charging enough. And I said, that's right. <laughs> because when she started working with the clients and she got that internal confidence, right? Then, then her ability to communicate how much she was worth grew and she was able to raise her rates back up again. Yeah, so I think what you're describing in a lot of ways is the imposter syndrome that so many people experience when they are entering into a new version of who they are in business or entrepreneurship or their authority. And I know you and I've talked a little bit about imposter syndrome and and kind of the roots of that as your foyer into neurolinguistic programming. Share with me a little bit, like what was the catalyst for you to go from being a programmer who has a software program to I'm, you know, now immersed in the world of neurolinguistic programming and influence. Yeah. So I stumbled into this field. Um, I, I was a computer programmer and I was a miserable computer programmer. I hated my job, but it was the only thing that I knew to do that could make, you know, decent money with uh, a young child and uh, not a lot of education. So I was doing it out of need. And um, in 1998, I went to the county fair. I saw a stage hypnotist, which I didn't believe in hypnosis at the time. Uh, I didn't realize hypnosis is actually rooted in science. A lot of people, they don't understand this. This go, Going back you know, 170 years, there's science that proves that hypnosis, clinical hypnotherapy is a real thing. And uh, the stage hypnotist was selling a tape to quit smoking. I was a three-pack-a-day smoker, hopelessly addicted to cigarettes. I'd been trying to quit for probably five years. And I listened to this silly little tape for 35 minutes. And I woke up in the morning and never touched another cigarette again. And um, wow. And that just fascinated me. I went on a two-year journey just down rabbit holes of learning all about the subconscious mind and how it works. And the funny thing is when I got certified as a hypnotherapist, um, you know, then by then, of course, I did believe in hypnotherapy, but there was one area it wasn't working for me. I was incredibly shy. 
I was one of the most shy people you'd ever met. I literally could not approach a stranger to ask for directions or help or where the restroom was. My body would freeze and I'd have this, you know, argument with myself in my head that would just keep me from moving forward. And so, you know, when I became a hypnotherapist, I desperately wanted to see clients and I wanted to get out of computer programming, but I had this whole thing inside of me, this, this, this dialogue that would constantly go on. If they don't want to talk to me and I don't want to interrupt them and they won't believe me. And what if they think I'm a kook and all of these things would go on in my head. So I, I've dealt with this now. And I think, you know, one of the most important things to realize, I, I, a lot of people don't realize this, confidence is not a trait. Most people think that confidence is a trait that other people have. And, and if that was the case, then, hey, that person got dealt the, the card of confidence and I'll never have it. But it isn't. Confidence is a state. And this is what I learned when I got into hypnotherapy and neurolinguistic programming. Literally anybody can have confidence anytime they want to. You just have to learn how to manage your state. And things like hypnotherapy and NLP give us tools to do this. Same thing when it comes to imposter syndrome, right? And there are some beliefs that are behind it as well. A lot of times we have to handle limiting beliefs. And I know for me, you know, when I was growing up, um, I was born to a 14-year-old mother who had a personality disorder, borderline personality disorder. Very difficult traumatic times when I was a child. And a lot of those ways that I was raised, never being good enough, goalposts always being moved, right? Uh, who do you think you are? Those kinds of things would rattle around and echo around in my head. And I, I really had to, to deal with those because, you know, I finally realized that I'm here. My purpose in life is to help people with this stuff. And if I didn't handle that mindset, then I wasn't gonna be able to live my purpose. So there came a point where I realized I had to, to look in and work on myself and, and do the work. And I became obsessed with working on myself. Um, you know, overcoming shyness, getting rid of every bad habit that I, I used to bite my fingernails down to the quick and have infected fingers all the time. And like every bad habit that I had, I saw it where a lot of people will say, oh, I'm not good enough because I, I would say I want to be better. So I don't. And, and that's how I turned my life around, you know, from really being um, miserable. I grew up in poverty, um, had traumatic relationship with my mom when I was young, no father. And, um, you know, a lot of people looked at me when I was 20 years old and just fresh off the street and thought I wouldn't know, wouldn't go anywhere in my life. Hmm. And, um, and for me, it was just, uh, every day saying, how can I be a better version of myself today? And, and I didn't know how to do that until I came across neurolinguistic programming. That's what really gave me the tools. Hypnotherapy helped a lot. Um, but NLP, there's this whole tool belt of tools that you can use to overcome really anything. And a lot of people don't realize you can use NLP on yourself. It's not taught yes. usually in classes. It's something you do to other people. Um, but <laughs> I really got into it in the beginning just to work on myself. And then I realized how much joy it brought me to um, work with other people and bliss, you know, to help other people with it. Well, it's interesting you share that. And and I've shared the story with you, but just for the sake of our of the listener, you know, I got my start in this through NLP. Like I was so stuck. I was frozen, paralyzed. Mm. I had so many limiting beliefs. I couldn't sell, wouldn't sell, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't do the things that I needed to do to have a successful coaching business, but I was a well-trained coach. Yeah. I'd gone through all the certifications and everything. And uh, I was exposed to somebody who taught NLP early on and I, I went kicking and screaming. I didn't really think it was going to be good. I had all these you know, stories made up about what it was yeah. and going through that process I thought I was learning a tool to grow my business. It actually radically transformed me. It was probably the single best investment Which I made. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I mean, and and I and I tell the story all the time. Like after that, like 
I, I went trapped from 1K a month to making six figures in under nine months. Like yeah. it just unleashed me. And I'm just thinking as we're talking here, people might start get be, become curious. If they're not familiar with NLP and what that what that is, could you just give us the the short 411 on what yeah. neurolinguistic programming is and what it's not, more importantly? Sure. Yeah, there are a million different confusing descriptions of what NLP is. And I finally come to one that I think accurately captures what it is. It's the lost user manual for the mind. Your mind is the most powerful supercomputer in this universe. And I always tell people, imagine if somebody gifted you a supercomputer and you get it home and you unbox it, you take it out and there's no manual inside. It's the most powerful thing in the world, but you have no clue how to use it, right? Or maybe you'll learn how to use 5% of it. That's kind of what it is with the mind. We have so much capability, so much possibility, so much potential trapped at the unconscious level because nobody taught us how to use our own unconscious mind. Matter of fact, we've almost been um, misled about the unconscious mind. All the old 120-year-old theories from Freud that your unconscious mind is this deep, dark, ugly place where you want to you know, have sex with small furry animals and kill your parents or the other way around, whatever it is, right? We we've almost were all taught at a young age that the unconscious mind's a bad thing. But Milton Erickson, who's one of the heroes in the NLP field, he was a psychiatrist that studied the unconscious mind in a different way. And he said, your unconscious mind isn't dark. It isn't deep. It isn't evil. It's you. It's just you. And it's it's the vast majority of you. And it's almost like, you know, if you had an arm amputated, you'd be really sad about it. But for many people, it's almost like their unconscious mind has been amputated because they don't know how to communicate with it. They don't know how to listen to it. They don't know how to work with it. And many people think that their mind is sabotaging them with things like anxiety and imposter syndrome. But in actuality, if you learn how to work with your mind, you never deal with those kinds of things. I, I have no confidence. I had the worst confidence when I was young. I have zero confidence issues now. Because if anything pops into my head that's negative, I handle it. Mm. And I handle it right away. I don't wait, you know. Um, but it's because I have the tools to do it. It really gives you full control. And, and I think that's um, having that user manual for the mind is the best thing that I ever learned. Yeah, I love that definition so much. And uh, I always tell people it's like, teaching the neurons in your brain to fire in a more resourceful pattern. Yeah. So it's moving the groove from, uh, I have these habits and behaviors and thoughts that don't support what I want and teaching your brain <laughs> your, yeah. your, to travel a new path so that it's uh, event happens. I, I go down this thought pattern that's directly in line with what I want. And so okay, I think we mesh those two together. <laughs> right. That's a pretty complete view of why NLP is probably one of the most powerful tools in your toolbox. And now as we move back to the conversation of influence, yeah. we can start to see how NLP could be a very powerful tool in ethical influence and persuasion. So yeah. let's connect those dots. How do you see those two pieces coming together? Well, number one, um, neurolinguistic programming really is a study of the human mind, right? It's, it's a study of how humans think, what makes us work, what makes us tick, which most people don't understand. Um, even if you study psychology, there's still a lot of question marks, a lot of mysteries um, in the field of psychology. NLP, to me, is a much more practical field, whereas instead of doing these, you know, big research and, and you know, all of these kind of academic things, in NLP, it's like, let's just figure out how it works. We don't care why so much. Let's just figure out how it works. So learning things like what language patterns actually stimulate people to listen to you. Um you know, and I think for me, one of the most important things, by the way, let's preframe this because you did say the word ethical, which is the most important word. It's in, it's in the name of our company, Ethical Marketing Academy. Um, you know, there are some people out there that think that NLP is unethical. But just like anything, just like a spoon, a car or a gun, it depends on how you use it. 
That's what determines whether something's ethical or not, not the thing itself. You know, I get people that say, oh, there are people out there scamming people with NLP, so it's bad. And I say, well, there are people out there scamming people with the English language. Does that mean the English language is bad? Or is it the person who speaks the words? So for me, what I found out, especially being 28 years in business now, this business transformed destiny 23 years in business, and we have a stellar reputation. You almost can't find negative reviews about us. We have a few little petty negative reviews that are about silly things. But like you look at most coaches in the industry, um, they're not like you and I. They have pages and pages and pages of people saying they rip me off. They have no integrity, you know, all these things. And it always cracks me up when I see coaches or, you know, internet marketers these days when they're like, oh, I've been in the game forever, bro, like three years. And, you know, <laughs> they'll brag about the fact that they had a, a six figure month, but they burn their business to the ground and their reputation is trashed. And it's yes. like, it's a flash in the pan. Whereas you look at people like you and I, we've both been coaches for 23 years where we both have great reputations. That's where the ethical part of it comes in. You know, is it possible for somebody to go out there and trick people and cheat people and make a lot of money? Of course, you can do that with the English language. You don't need NLP for that. Um, but what, you know, the real flex is being in business for a long time and helping a lot of people and really having very few haters. You're always going to have some haters because people are just people, but very few haters. And, you know, we have clients of ours. As a matter of fact, I have a client who's another NLP trainer, master trainer, as a matter of fact, who um, just bought a program from us uh, three weeks ago. Right. And to me, that's the hallmark of when you have other people in your field who are peers at the same level as you who are buying your stuff. Um, you don't get that if you lack integrity. You know, so what I find, I call this rule zero. And in my book, Influence to Profit, I have a chapter zero because it talks about rule zero. I call it rule zero because it comes before all the other rules, which is that if you influence people without integrity, it will always catch up to you. Right. And at, ultimately, you have no influence, which means you didn't have influence at all. You just tricked people. But if you have influence, if you have um, ethics and integrity in what you do, you can serve people. And those people, you'll build a relationship with them that's built on trust. They will believe you when you say what you mean. They, they know that you'll do what you say. And then that relationship will flourish. And you know that's how I've managed to stay in business for 23 years. So I think it's really important to point that out, that NLP itself is not um, good or bad. NLP is just a set of tools. How you use it is the most important thing. Yeah. So that's what we and really it, focus on in both our companies is the ethical use of it. Yeah, I I'm, I love the way you you put that out there. And I, I was just thinking about some conversations that have been happening in my my little circles here about what's happening in our marketplace. And I think a lot of people uh, who have been around a little bit and who are people who invest in coaching and growth, they're starting to see the two camps. Yeah. The ethical, I can trust them. Uh, there may be a few people who have had issues, but it may not necessarily be the mentor. It's just, you know, mismatch. Yeah. And then the questionable, uh, use a lot of emotional manipulation. Uh, they're using that influence and persuasion in a negative way without the ethics. And that um, it's like scorching a trail of distrust yeah. and disconnect for our audiences. And so I think one of the ways to stand out, because that's a lot of what I teach, and I know you do too, is the more ethical, the more you build trust, the more connected you are, and you really develop that relationship with your community, that's one of the fastest, most powerful ways to stand out in a crowded market. Yeah, absolutely. And and I will tell you, like, I mean, you know, everybody always wants to do the vanity metrics and talk about the good numbers, but I, I was on a summit one time, and it was a summit where we sold during each of our, our presentations. There was another NLP trainer there that was bragging about the fact he got an 80% close rate. 
And, um, and I had a really good close rate too, but I just said about the other person, I said, let's let it shake out for three weeks and we'll see where we're at. By the time all was said and done, he had a 45% chargeback and refund rate, right? Why? Because he used, he used the influence in a way, like you said, to be emotionally charged, to get people to make a decision. And there was no substance behind it. Once they got in, they realized he didn't care about them. He didn't care about his products. The only thing he cared about was the bottom line, the sales. And, you know, and that person has a reputation, by the way, that follows him around everywhere he goes. Um, and, um, you know, so the thing is, like, a lot of times we look at people who may be doing those kinds of things and, and it looks on the surface like they're doing really well, but ultimately it catches up with them. Yeah. You know, that was a big awakening for me, um, <laughs> sitting in an audience one time watching somebody using NLP and uh, in his sales process. And, um, you know, he was like closing the room, as many people refer to it. And then I learned on the back end that he had 40% of those people return returning. And I thought, yeah. you know, it doesn't really matter how much you generate in the moment if it's not right. sustainable, right? Exactly. So when you bring that ethics back in, that's when you're moving people into something that's aligned for them, that they need, that they want, and yes. um, they're going to stick with it rather than you know, leave in droves because they, there was that manipulation or that hype that moved them into action. Exactly. As a matter of fact, one of the things we talk about with our team all the time is that there, there are times when not to close people, you know, when we can see that there's somebody who's in a place of, of complete desperation. Like we had a woman come to us in a training once she wanted to buy our big package. And she, you know, as she's at the back table, she said, I don't know how I'm going to eat. I'm literally gonna have to move out of my apartment and sleep in my car, but I have to do this. This is going to save my life. And we're like, no, it's not. <laughs> you are not ready for this. You know, I know that you have this dream and this vision. Let's have you take a baby step first, right? And and we actually ended up not selling anything to her at all because she was just in such a place where it would have hurt her to buy from us. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people in the coaching field and the speaking field and internet marketing that just don't care about that. They just want that sale, you know? Yeah, it's a different, it's a different framework. Like I know people, it's like empower them to find a way to pay for it. And I'm I'm with you. I was like, those do not make great clients for right. these kinds of uh, growth opportunities. So, right. so, so knowing when to influence somebody and when not to is an important, yes. that's an important strategy. That is a, that's a character attribute as well. Like that's character when you have the fortitude and the confidence to know, and almost like, I feel like that's such a state of abundance, right? It's like, yeah. I don't have to um, influence that person to buy something right now. I'm, exactly. I, I, it's not in their best interest. Yeah. So good, Michael. I love it. We need we need this uh, concept to be infused throughout our culture. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? we, we actually feel a bit of a responsibility to kind of bring integrity back into the field because there there have been some notable people in the field of NLP that didn't use it properly. So it's a, a big part of our mission is to, to you know bring that sense of integrity back in in through our trainings and everything that we do in the field. We've already started to talk a little bit about some mistakes that people mm. make around influence. I'm just curious if there's anything else that you know really stands out in your mind. Like this is where people misstep and maybe misuse or don't even understand how to influence in a way that that is aligned and ethical. I would say the biggest mistake most people make when it comes to influence um, in business is that they talk about their product too much, mm. their product, service, or program. We think that all we have to do is make a good logical argument to people, right? Here's what it is. And it's, you know, and I hear people all the time. I, I coach a lot of coaches and, you know, uh, I'll do mock calls with them. 
tell me about your program. Oh, you're going to love it. It's 120 hours. There's 17 modules. They're all MP4 encoded. It's, there's a website where, you know, you've got, and, and they go into what the product is. Um, that's the biggest mistake that most people make, right? Um, most people, frankly, they don't care what the product is. Most people, when they go buy a car, they don't care how many liters the engine is. There are, of course, some car enthusiasts that would care about that, but they're going to ask about that if it's important to them. Um, they, they don't care what the you know seats are made out of or how the bolts are put together. You know, I always tell people, coaches in particular, stop talking about your tools. You know, when I talk about coaching, I don't say I'm an NLP coach. Come and learn NLP. You're going to love NLP. There's switch patterns and there's submodalities and there's this and that because people's eyes. And I used to do that, by the way. There's eyes would glaze over, right? Um, you know, I, I tell people like if you go to the to the mechanic and your car is broken, do you go to the mechanic and say? Um, hey, what kind of tools do you have in the shop? Because, you know, I want to make sure you're using Mako tools, not some other kind of brand. When you need your car fixed, you don't care what tools they're going to use. You just want your car fixed. And so one of the most important things is learning how to talk about your client. It really is about the client. It's about what they want. And really, the only way you can know what that is, is through two things. Number one, research, right? So you can research your clients as a whole, come up with what we call a customer avatar, which is kind of a depiction of your um, of your client, a, a fictional character that you refer to as your client. And then the second way is just asking questions. Questions are actually one of the most powerful form of influence because the conscious mind is the part of the mind that rejects, right? That is the, the conscious mind's job is to accept and reject what comes in from the outside world. And um, when you're speaking to the conscious mind, there's a really good chance that people are going to reject because people's default state these days is inaction right? It's so much easier for people just to stay in their pain. It's so much easier for people to stay stuck in their problem than it is to change something. And so if you're speaking to the conscious mind, the easiest possible thing for somebody to say to you is no, even if they want it, even if they need it, even if they can afford it. And a lot of times they'll tell you, I can't afford it when they, you know, the next week they'll go out and buy a brand new iPhone, spend, spend money that's more than what they would have paid you. And I've had those, you know, those kinds of experiences before I got good at influence. So, you know, we have to learn to get past that, that kind of logical detailed stuff, ask the client questions, find out what it is that they want, and then just figure out a way to connect what you have to that. Right. So like one of the things I always talk about for sales, I don't see sales as an adversarial thing. Most people think that sales is one person versus another. Maybe it's my coach training, but what I do is instead of facing somebody on and being an adversary, I come up against uh, next to them, put my arm around them, and I say, you and I want the same thing. I, and there's maybe an obstacle in the way. In sales, they call them objections. I call them obstacles. Because as a coach, my job is to help people through their obstacles to get what they want. And so when I think of, of sales that way, is I'm just coaching them to help them get what they want, which is also what I want. Now we're creating win-wins, right? And sales becomes really, really easy when you do that, when you learn how to present yourself, how to present what you're you're offering. But you do it from a place of really helping them, right? The root word actually for sale is a Norwegian word, selje, which is which uh, is the Norwegian word for uh, to serve. A lot of people don't know that. People think sales is icky, but if you do it right, you're just serving. I love that. I, I think I heard you say that once before, and I was like, that is a writer downer. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to circle back to something you talked about just now around um, questions and mm. and selling and you know, for that was one of my big roadblocks in, in the early days that NLP going through it for myself, it's almost like it cleared this block. And then I think the second part of it was creating, learning a system, a structure that made me feel confident was selling. 
And what that structure was, is learning to ask the right questions. Yeah. And I think, you know, we can use questions to let people self-select and somebody who has self-selected into yes, Mm. is the most powerful buyer on the planet. Yeah. Absolutely. Because they're you can't you can't it's almost like you can't stop them. <laughs> they're right. all in. They're gonna yeah. figure out how to do this. Absolutely. And and going back to what I said about questions being one of the most powerful forms of influence, it has to do with the fact that the conscious mind, if you if you make a statement, the conscious mind will evaluate it and will choose to accept or reject it. But if you mm-hmm. ask a question, it's almost impossible for the conscious mind. For example, if I were to say to you, Melanie, your shirt's green, you're gonna reject that outright. Because I I mean, I know most people are listening, but your shirt is not green. But on the other hand, if I were to say, Melanie, what shade of green is your shirt? How does that land differently for you? I'd be thinking, like, how is green in my shirt? And I'd right. be looking at my shirt and I'd be inspecting it, trying are to figure out where the green or, is. Yeah, are you moving I'm curious. It? Yeah, curious. I'm exploring it. And that's why questions are so powerful, right? They actually bypass the, 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 um, the part of the mind that automatically rejects things when they're confusing or hard or confrontational or out of comfort zone. It's so easy for people to say no, but if you ask more powerful questions, you're just leading people to the right yes. You know what I would love to do right here? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm catching you off guard, I'm sure, but you're sure. really good on the spot. <laughs> what is one of your most powerful questions that helps a potential client move into yes? I know what one of mine is, but I want to hear what one of yours is if, you, if you've got something. I, I have one that this, I'm going to pull out a really advanced um, language pattern, uh, but it's one of my favorite ones. Uh, what does the future you need to say to the past you in order for you to know that yes is the right answer for you right now? Ooh, can you say that one more time? Yeah. That's so good. What does the future you need to say to the past you in order for you to know that yes is the right answer for you right now? That's great. That's great. So the, That's powerful at so many levels. Yeah. This is an example of what we call temporal language, right? Using time. Because uh, most people don't realize this. There are actually three selves that we're trying to influence in the other person. There's the moment. And this is why, by the way, you can be selling somebody and they can say yes to you and then back out, mm-hmm. right? There's the person who you're speaking to in the moment of right now. And that's the conscious mind, right? But at the subconscious level, all time is existing at all at, at once. All of the past is in the subconscious mind. Every memory that you've ever had, including all the way back into birth and even into the womb. This is scientifically proven. Your unconscious mind remembers everything. But your your unconscious mind also has what I call future memories. They haven't happened yet. They're not really memories, but they're stored the same way in the mind. This is how time techniques works, by the way, for anybody who's familiar with that. Your unconscious mind has a, a, a string of future memories that it is moving you into. So if I were to ask you, Melanie, what are you doing tomorrow? You'll think of what you're doing tomorrow. You'll have an image or a movie in your mind, a sound, a feeling, right? Uh, Maybe even a smell and a taste, but you'll have a notion of what's happening tomorrow. And your unconscious mind is stored that there. That's how when you ask, what are you doing tomorrow? There's there's always, it doesn't matter when you ask, there's always an image there, right? Always an internal representation, we call it. So when you're influencing somebody, you're not just influencing the now, you have to influence their future self which let's say you're selling a high ticket coaching program, right? They're in because they know they need it. And all of a sudden they go, oh, I heard there might be layoffs in three months, right? Or I heard the economy might go down. Or what if that war happens with China? That's the future self warning the current self from the future. There might be something out here that's gonna hurt us, right? But we also have to deal with the past self. That person who's maybe signed up for a coaching program and got ripped off before, had a bad experience, or... They've got some money blocks and limiting beliefs. And so this is what I love about this one language pattern is it actually speaks to all three selves. Yeah. 
That's so good. I, I mean, the one the one I use all the time is uh, not the not that one, but I'm. What's the version of you that's already had the best return on investment from saying yes today? Like oh, I, love I have a slightly different version. It's a, it's uh, so a that's one of them. Pace. Yeah. Yes. And and also I find self-coaching sometimes yeah. just checking with myself when I know there's something I want and, and I don't know how to pull it off yet. It's like, well, what's the version of me that already knows how yeah. to successfully accomplish this? Right. And yeah. so there's so many different ways we can self-coach, we can coach our clients, we can coach our our potential clients into getting what they really want, but they somehow feel blocked to. Yeah. Um, these yeah. are there's so many great tools here. I mean, I could talk to you for three hours <laughs> I love it. <laughs> or all day, <laughs> Yeah. but I know we will have to wrap this up shortly. I, you know, I, I know as somebody's listening in right now, they're probably thinking, gosh, this is fantastic. I'd love to learn more. What would be a resource or a good place for someone to start connecting further with you? Yeah. I, um, if you go to, uh, ethicalmarketing.com forward slash Melanie, uh, I have a link set up there where you can download my book, Influence to Profit. And this is not like a report, you know, this is an, a full copy of my book, which you could buy on Amazon, but you'll get it for free. Um, so that's ethicalmarketing.com forward slash Melanie. And uh, it's a great resource. It's got a ton of language patterns in there you can learn. I talk about rule zero and why it's important to have integrity in what you do and, and be ethical. Uh, I go through a bunch of different language patterns. And uh, it's, I, matter of fact, I have one one of our clients, Danny Brazell. I think you know Danny. Um, he speaks all over. He's, he's like a professional speaker. He speaks five days a week, right? He gets hired by corporations. He's on the road all week speaking. And he says that he carries that book in his um, satchel, in his uh, suitcase. Um, and every time he's going to go out and speak, he actually flips through the book and reviews it before he goes on stage. He said it's that important to him. So. Well, ethicalmarketing, ethicalmarketing.com forward slash Melanie. We'll link that up in the show notes for you as well. And again, I can't say enough about the power of this tool. And I mean, Michael in general is just freaking amazing. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to have to download the book and read it because I don't think I've actually read the book yet. I've just heard you speak a million times. Mm -hmm. um, and I highly recommend you download it and read it through and see where there's um, a next level for you, another tool, uh, an expansion of the way you can ethically influence and persuade people to do what's right for them, because that's really what, what this is about. Uh, this is that moment, Michael, in our conversation where I'd like to ask you a couple fun theme questions for the show. Mm -hmm. The first one is, uh, what is the boldest thing you ever did that amplified the success of your business? Uh, I think the boldest thing we ever did is we decided to scale during COVID. Um, you know, while most coaches just kind of threw up their hands and said, COVID's here, nobody has money, I can't make a living. You know, most coaches just gave up like day one. Um, you know, our attitude about it was this is when people need help the most. Mm -hmm. And um, so we launched three high ticket coaching programs, uh, you know, right like April, May during COVID. Um, we hired on 10 new team members. Uh, we went from having, I think six or seven team members We're 22 now. Um, and it was a, it was a bold move and it paid off. <laughs> yes, it did. Wow. I love that. And I know you've kind of checked in with me over the, the last couple of years on some of that. And it's just been really, it's been so profoundly powerful to watch mm -hmm. you step into what's possible when so many people are focusing on what the limits are and yeah. what's not working. Like it's such an extraordinary champion of the work. So the power of thank mindset, you. Though. you. It know? really is. It yeah. really is. I love being surrounded with people like you who 
um, continue to up level the game of <laughs> how do I focus on what's possible rather than what's not working. It's so mm. good. Last question. What's one thing you wish you would have done sooner because now you know how impactful it was going to be to your business? Uh, hire a team. By far, that that was, I waited 10 years to hire my first employee. I didn't do it well. I hired somebody and I let him just sort of hang. Um, didn't pay any attention to him, didn't train him well. Um, so I had a bad experience in 2008 of having employees. And I was like, never doing that again. Going to do everything myself. Um, but that was the big shift for me. In 2015, um, Kayla and I hired, we were on a cruise ship and in Europe. And we realized we weren't going to have any kind of cell service at all. And so we're freaking out because like we're gone for two weeks and we don't have any way to help our clients. So we actually hired one of our students and said, hey, would you just take the phones and say, Michael and Kayla will be back in two weeks and they can help you then. And um, the, our first chance that we got, I don't know, five or six days in, we got to check in with, with her and we found out there were no problems. We thought there was gonna be this disaster. And it turned out she just handled everything herself. <laughs> and we're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And um, so that was 2015. And um, yeah, we've grown from one employee to 22 since then. And um, the, the, the more team we build, the more people we impact and the bigger our business gets. And uh, I wish I had done that 23 years ago. And the less stressed you are, <laughs> yeah. because more things can get done without Michael having to do them all and Kayla having to do exactly. them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Michael, thank you so much. This was such a powerful conversation and exploration of how to um, influence and I would even just say inspire yeah. and persuade people to say yes to their dream and to what they really, really deeply need and want. Uh, in an ethical and powerful and sustainable way. So thank you for bringing that. Again, I would highly recommend you go over to ethicalmarketing.com forward slash Melanie and download this generous gift of the Influence to Profit book. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Melanie. It's been great. Thanks for tuning in today, Amplifier. Be sure to join us right now in the Amplify Your Authority community at authorityamplifiers.com and I'll share my seven proven tips to be a highly paid expert that stands out in a crowded market. Plus, we're going to keep this conversation going and I want to hear from you how you're going to amplify your authority and make a greater impact. Before you go, please take a minute to give our show and our guests some love over on your favorite podcasting platform. Subscribe, rate, and review. Leave your full name and I'll spotlight you and your authority on social media. <laughs>